0: As we wrap up the second chapter of Ephesians today, we're talking about the building of a church. And it seems funny to be talking about the building of a church, but as you turn to Ephesians chapter two, I want to remind you of some things that we've been studying because I think that it will show you just how far we have come and what happens in the lives of people who become believers and what God intends for their lives to look like. In Ephesians chapter 2, it starts by saying you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That doesn't feel much like a church, does it? But that's where all of us started. That's where we started so that we could come into relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It starts with the fact that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God who was rich in mercy came and saved us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And as we have studied that, what we understood was that we were formerly ruled by worldly thinking. We were formerly ruled by Satan. We were formerly ruled by the passions of our flesh and the desires of our flesh. But what has happened is that God, through his son, Jesus Christ, has brought us into relationship with Christ and he's doing something in our lives And we haven't really seen what that is. We've seen that we now have a new relationship with our Jewish brethren because we're all one. We've seen that the dividing wall of hostility has been brought down. But what we haven't seen is what does God intend to do with that? And today we're going to get to see something that God has intended for us to see, but he had to get from the beginning to here in chapters one and two for us to understand it. And it's that God is building something, and I want you to read with me if you would. It's something the apostles have been chasing all along, and now we'll see the outworking of this. It's verses 19 through 22 in chapter 2, the book of Ephesians. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself, as the cornerstone in him the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the lord in him you are also being built together for god's dwelling in the spirit did you catch it three pictures that he gives that starts to describe what god's doing with a group of people who have been saved and brought into unity in faith in christ jesus no longer separated as Jews and Gentiles, those on the inside and those on the outside, now brought together by the blood of Jesus, and he's saying to us with these three pictures something that we get to see that is happening in the church that God is building. When we talk about the church and we think about what a church is, our our natural mind kind of goes into the body of Christ, maybe that we're a part of here at Judson Baptist Church. It's hard for me to imagine uh, that we have been in existence now for about 110 years, from 1911 to 2021. That's a long time for us to be a church. We started down on Franklin Road at Douglas Corner and moved out here and have continued to expand. And that's where our mind often goes is to our church. And maybe we think of it as the location that our church is or the building that our church is. But he has something bigger than that in mind for us this morning, and I want you to see these three pictures. They become very important for us because they shape for us what the church ought to be. Now, when I was leaving seminary, it was really marking the end of something that had been pushed, and it was really at its zenith in the world of, of church life, and people called it the church growth movement the church growth movement. It had kind of come in out of the 60s and 70s. If you remember coming out of World War II, there was a building age of churches. Churches were springing up all over the place, new developments, new subdivisions being built, and churches were a part of that, and people were thinking about the church, and they were building churches, but then people began to think about Growing churches and the emphasis on growth led us to think about things as people described it. They said, if you want to grow your church, you need to think about it in some terms like this. They talked about the homogeneous church growth movement. What does that mean? Homogeneous church growth movement. If you want to grow your church and you want to grow it fast, grow it with people that look alike. Grow with people that are just like you. So think about their education. Think about their socioeconomic status. Think about where they live, what they do, what they value, and build a church like that and it will grow fast. And we did see churches grow fast like that. That's funny though. The scripture never said build a church just like you. Have you noticed that? You can grow a church fast like that, but I don't know that you grow a church that is necessarily what God wants us to have. There's something different here, isn't it? There are three pictures that He gives that talk about what a church is, and He's going to kind of unpack this over the coming—I uh, was about to say the coming weeks—but you know that'd be a lie. It'd be the coming months as we study the Book of Ephesians, as we've been in it this long. But as we see this, we're going to see these three pictures. And I want to come back to that idea about what it means to grow a church and to have a church that looks just like you. And and we'll come back to that in just a minute. But let's look at the first picture. In, In verse 19, you see that he says there's something about your citizenship that happens because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's read this again. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints no longer foreigners and strangers and it's funny because you know in america today we're honoring memorial day and have you ever thought about this you know if you're if you live in another country some other countries holidays mean nothing to you right like i mean if you're not canadian does boxing day mean anything to you it doesn't matter does it It you don't even think about it you see it on your calendar oh it's boxing (laughs) so what if, you're, if you don't live in America today, it doesn't matter that people are celebrating Memorial Day in America. It, it, it doesn't resonate with you. It's kind of meaningless. It kind of gets lost in translation. But if you're an American citizen, you understand that today has given you something, hasn't it? It's given you some rights and privileges because of the sacrifice of others. And there's some things that come along with that. When you travel abroad and you carry your little blue passport with you, it says that you're granted all the rights and privileges contained here within, right, to be an American citizen. And we know what great lengths our country will send its troops into battle just to rescue one American. Think about this for a second. You remember the story of Captain Phillips. He's captured by pirates at sea, held hostage and finally rescued by Navy SEALs. You remember Jessica Buchanan, perhaps. If you haven't, maybe go go watch that story, fantastic story, American aid worker, captured by people, and they come and rescue her, Navy SEALs, once again. The Navy SEALs are doing a great job today. Any Navy people in here today? None of y'all? Okay, there we go, come on. It's kind of a weak showing back there, John. I thought you'd be a little more excited, you know what I mean? Come on, Navy, let's go, Navy. Uh, You know, but the Navy SEALs do this. What lengths will the country go just to rescue one American citizen? Because something has changed. You you, you now have something. When we come to Christ, we're told that we're citizens of a new kingdom. Think about it like this. He says, you're not a foreigner, you're not a stranger. You're fellow citizens with the saints. When he says you're not a foreigner, you're not a stranger, it means that you're known. You, You have access to something. If you come to my house today... And you knock on the door and I don't know you. I don't just say, man, come on in and sit down and hang out for a while. I'm watching the game. Come on. It doesn't happen that way, does it? I don't know you. I have to know you for you to be able to come in and, and enjoy all the privileges that would be there. But, but when we're in God's kingdom, it says that we're not strangers anymore. We talked about this in, in what Kirk just said, that we were called friends of God. We're brought close into an association with God through Christ And that's happened for us. But he also says something else. He says, you have a fellowship with the saints. That word, it just means the holy ones. That's important. You're given the rights and privileges, but there's expectations too. There's expectations to being an American citizen. There are certain things that are required of you. Taxes. Right, registering for the draft. There's just certain things that are required of you. In God's kingdom, it's holiness. Be holy like I am holy. You see, when we're brought into this, there's good things that come from it, but there's responsibilities that come from it. This idea of the holy ones, that we're brought into this, and God's building a church And that the church has citizens in it, but it also has holy people in it. We'll come back to that. The second picture that we see is from verse 19 as well. It says that you're part of God's household. Part of God's household. So we start off not just as strangers, but now we're brought in as citizens and we're holy ones. And now the next step takes us one step further in, doesn't it? It says you're part of God's household. Do you remember that when we were looking at chapter one, we talked about there was this term that was used for us who are in Christ. It says, you have been adopted. It's not just that you're on the outside anymore, not just that you're servants, not just that you're friends, but now that you're adopted. Interestingly enough, the scripture uses two terms often to talk about our relationship with God, and it says that we were born again and that we were adopted. Born again and adopted. So natural birth, and adopted. Two different things, but they're used the same way. Do you remember that when Jesus in John was talking to a man named Nicodemus, he said to him, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you be born again. I will never forget this. Now, years ago, uh, when my daughter was born, our doctor had moved from out of state into the little town that we were living in, and uh, he asked me, as we were talking one day, I said, we ought, to, we ought to catch lunch sometime. And he said, yeah, that'd be great. And so when we went to lunch that day, we were sitting there in the little pizza hut in the little town where we were at, and uh, I thought he had a bunch of questions about some other things. And he said, I- I've got a question, and I'm just, I'm just not sure what it means. And people keep asking me this. Can you help me with this? What does it mean when someone says, are you born again? And I was like, I am so glad you asked that question. I would love to answer that. And he said, you know, where I'm from, he said, I've, I've grown up in church, but I've never heard that term. I've never heard someone say born again. Well, where does that come from? It comes from Jesus' interaction with a man named Nicodemus, where he says, unless a person is born again. Well, what does that mean? We're born once into our flesh, but he's saying unless we're born again into our spirit, regenerate, born again into a new life. We talk about when, when we baptize someone, we're buried with Christ in, in baptism, raised again. It's this new life that we're taking on. He says, unless you're born again. But he also talks about being adopted. He says that when we're in God's household, we're no longer strangers. We're no longer just on the outside looking in. But we've been brought close and we're part of God's family. Now that means that we have an inheritance. We're given something. We're full heirs of the kingdom of God. Citizens, yes, but now part of God's household. We're spiritually born again and when we're adopted into his family and given this inheritance, what's that for? Well, you see, when we talk about citizenship, oftentimes as believers, I think we miss something here. We often think about it and I know that I have heavenly citizenship. Do you know that you have heavenly citizenship? You know it. But it's a lot easier for me to kind of Taste, touch, see, American citizenship. I have a passport for that, right? I, I, I understand that. We, we say the pledge to the flag. We, we do certain, it's just easier for me to see that. It's easier for me to understand that. But what this apostle is writing to this group of believers in this church, he's trying to raise their eyes up a little bit and get them to see that something grandiose has happened. Not only were they on the outside and they've been brought near, but they've been invested in full rights and responsibilities as citizens and they've been brought into the household so they're close to the Lord. And he's about to say to them, there's something that God's doing with you guys. And it becomes very, very important. So that's the second picture. First is citizenship. Second is the household. Third picture is this. You are God's temple. Would you read verses 20 through 22 with me? You're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. With Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Now, there's a question we have to answer about this before we go any further. Are we talking about the big church, universal church? Are we talking about this church? And the answer is yes. Paul's writing to a church, but he's trying to get them to see it's not just the church in Ephesus, it's the the big church, the universal church as well. But there's something here that kind of smacks against us a little bit, because oftentimes we have this privatized faith, and we get the idea, I am a citizen. I'm part of the household, I was adopted, God calls me friend. But there's some language here that he's using that says there's something bigger than this, that we are in this together. I was talking with someone this week and they asked me this question. They said, Pastor, were you here when we did the me to we emphasis that we had in our church? How many of you remember long ago, and I was here when we did me to we? Do you remember that? That's been, that's been a few minutes, hasn't it? It's been, it's been a little bit ago. But why did we do that? We were trying to get our minds to understand that there was something bigger going on here than a rugged individualistic salvation where everything that happened was for me and it was just me and I don't understand that it's anything bigger than that. Notice what he started with. He said, this is a bigger picture for you and there's a foundation that's been laid and he said, it started long ago with the apostles and the prophets. Now, what does that mean for us? He's saying that what we're dealing with today, everything that we as a church in Nashville, Tennessee, are dealing with today, something has been laid for us in a foundation that goes so far back. It it, it goes beyond the here and now. And that ought to make us wary about things that come and set themselves up against that and say, well, new interpretation. There's a new way to do this. There's a new thing. There's a new this. And the culture's always trying to do that because what the culture wants is capitulation to its own ideas. So what it does is it says, oh yeah, you can be religious, but religion says that that this is right, this is wrong, but it's not really that way anymore. New understanding has come, and he says, no, there's something that was laid for you in the apostles and the prophets of long ago. That's important for us to remember. That's really important for us. You probably don't remember me preaching a sermon about this many years ago, but we were talking about an obscure passage that had been used by a famous preacher to talk about how a church finds revival. And it was from the passage in Genesis where it talked about Jacob coming back to dwell in the land that his father had once inhabited. And Jacob needed water. And it said, what did Jacob do? Jacob went and found the wells that his father had dug And the Philistines had polluted those wells. They'd thrown stuff in there and made the water no good and filled in the wells. And it said that Jacob dug the wells again, cleaned them out, and he dug them up. You know, a lot of times what we do is we run looking for the latest and newest and greatest thing and we miss the fact that it was always right here in front of us that God had given us his holy word and when we want to see revival, we don't need to go dig new water somewhere. We need to go back and clean out the pollution of the well that's in our lives and let the word of God speak to us and let it begin to transform our lives as we bring ourselves into conformity to the word of God and the will of God and it's amazing what God starts to do. You go back and dig the well again clean it out, and get it ready. That's the the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. But then it said that Jesus was this cornerstone, that he's the foundation, the cornerstone. Jesus quoted this, and we just sang the song, Christ Alone Cornerstone. But Jesus quoted this saying talked about it like this the stone the builders rejected became the cornerstone what was that from when the temple was being built in the old testament there's a story that said you you may remember that that the rock from the temple and everything was quarried somewhere else and it was fashioned somewhere else and they didn't do any of that work on site it was brought in So it's a strange way to build a building, right? Normally, if we were building a building here, you would hear saws and and, and you would hear nailing and all that kind of thing going on. And, And people often talk about in the holiness of the moment, they were building the temple without using stone and chisel there. It was done off-site and brought in. And there was this one stone that had not been set because it didn't fit. It was set aside. And they called the corner and said, "Where's the cornerstone?" And said, "Well, we already sent it to you. No, you didn't. Yeah, we did." And they came. It's that one, the one you rejected, and said it didn't fit the plans. It was the cornerstone. Christ is the cornerstone, rejected by men, but the cornerstone of the church. You remember that Jesus referred to himself this way when he talked with peter if you would i'll read this it'll be on the screen and and i'll read it from from Matthew chapter 16 for us this morning but Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples And he begins to say to them, who do people say that I am and and what do you think? And he gets to Peter and he says, but who do you say that I am? And Simon answers and says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, known as the good confession. I believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God, the Messiah, son of the living God. And Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, Uh, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And there's a word play going on here. Peter, which means rock. He says, you're the little rock. You're the little guy. And he says, you are Peter. And on this rock, big rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So when he says that, and he's talking about that, he's saying to them with this play on words, something is happening here. I'm building something That you may not be able to see, Peter, you're this little rock, but on this big confession that you've just made, I'm going to build my church. Now, if you understand where he says that, he says the gates of hell will not prevail against him. They were literally standing at a place known as the gates of hell. They were looking at it. They were looking at this place where idol worship happened all the time. And he's saying to them, look at this. The enemy that's outside right here, it can't stand against us. We can take this based on the confession that you have made. It all comes through me. You well, see, that's why the church can only move forward when it's made up of people who are truly saved. If you're not saved and you're part of the church, You're not helping the church move forward. We don't need religious people who like the church. That's not what we're looking for. We're not not just trying to to fill fill the seats. The church is made up of something that has happened in our lives that's invisible, salvation, which becomes visible as we live our lives as holy people. When we're not holy, when we're not set apart, we're not functioning as the church. So based on... Or built upon, rather, I should say, the apostles and the prophets. The cornerstone of Christ. He then says that we're doing something. He's growing something. I want you to think about this for just a second. Read it with me again. Built on the foundation, the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together. Present tense. It's being built. He says about it. It grows into a holy temple of the Lord. Have you ever built anything that grew? I've built things that have decayed, right? You know, you you, you build them and you have to go back and repaint them. You build them and you have to go replace a board because it rots. You have to change things. You have to, to, to bring things back up to spec because what we understand about things that are built or things that are created is that they constantly from the day they're new they start going down, don't they? You know, it's the it's the law of depreciation with your car vehicle, you drive it off the lot and you just lost money. Right? That's what happens. Same thing happens, you build a new house, it immediately starts to fall apart. Now, you don't see it with your eyes immediately, right? It's not like, you know, a building just starts to kind of topple over and you start seeing studs fall out of the wall and things like that. But but it's literally, from the moment it's built, it's literally falling apart. And you're having to constantly go back and repair it. But he says about the church that it is growing and being fit together. That's an interesting thing for someone to say, the Apostle Paul to say about a group of people and then to use the imagery that they are God's temple. Now, why is he saying that to them? That that can't be lost on us because last week we talked about the temple. Do you remember that? We talked about the different courts of the temple and the dividing wall that kept Gentiles out and allowed Jews in. And we talked about the temple as he's writing this. It's visible to him still. And he's telling them, That's not the place that God inhabits any longer. God inhabits his people. Kirk read for us 1 Corinthians 3.16 where it says, you yourselves are God's temple. You yourselves. What's he mean there? The group of people called out of darkness into light by Christ... Saved, holy, are now where the presence of the Lord resides. So when the scripture talks about growing a church, it sounds very different, doesn't it, than, hey, find a bunch of people that look just like you. Find a bunch of people that have the same interests as you. Find a bunch of people that have the same socioeconomic status as you. And get them all together together. And grow the church really fast. What might be wrong with that? It's funny when we read this. It says that we all have a common foundation to begin with. Every one of us. If you were saved this morning. If you are saved this morning. You have a citizenship that's yours. That's common to all of us. Worldwide. If you are saved this morning. You are part of the Holy Ones common worldwide. If you're saved this morning, you're part of God's household. You're not on the outside looking in common to all of us worldwide. But then he says something beautiful is happening. God is fitting us together. Fitting us together. You know what that means? That means that there's some parts of you They may have to be a little bit uh, smoothed over so that you fit good. Just so that you fit properly. Because, you know, you get a group of people. I mean, just look around the room for a minute. Take a look. When you look at this room, there's no way we could all agree on anything this morning. If I said we were going to go to lunch over here, you'd say, I can't eat that. If I said, well, we could go to lunch over here, somebody else would say, I can't eat that. Before you know it, we wouldn't be able to get out the door. It's impossible for us to agree on everything. That's why certain things don't need to be agreed on by everybody. You you know, uh, I had this experience in the very first church that I ever pastored. Uh, It was time for us to take care of that decaying building that was actually decaying. It was falling apart. Needed to be kind of given a facelift. And we sat down, and you could cut the tension with a knife. And I couldn't understand why. Until I understood that they had tried to do this before, but it had erupted in such a big fight over the color of the carpet. (laughs) Because that matters. If you think the color of the carpet is what the building is, right? And as we began to sit and dream about what God might do in our church... I just kind of quickly realized that uh, I was going to do something unusual that day. I said, I think you guys have this in hand. I'm not coming back to any of these meetings. What? I said, well, you're not going to mess up the color of the carpet. It doesn't matter. You're not going to paint the walls something that's hideous. Figure it out. Whatever you decide is going to be great. See, it's not... It's not the building because if it's just the building and it's just the, the outside and the exterior, we don't understand, do we, how quickly we bump into one another and, oh, that hurt. Man, watch where you're going. I didn't like that color. Ooh, that hurt. I don't like that music. Ooh, that hurt. I don't like that program. Ooh, why are they doing that? Ooh. And it, see, that's what he's saying. It's growing. And if it's growing, there are new people always coming in and they're being fitted in with us. The whole building being fitted in together. Why does God do that? Well, we're going to see in the coming weeks that Jesus wasn't kidding when he said that a lamp should be up on a hill. That we shouldn't lose our light, right? That that it was important for us to do that. And there's something really beautiful when the world, which is always clamoring and talking about unity and trying to find unity and all these kinds of... They can't find it either, but we can because we have the greatest thing in common which is our salvation. Now, if we were just to be really honest in here this morning, we would say that most of the things that have disappointed us in church probably didn't matter. They probably weren't that important. They were probably things that in the scope of eternity didn't matter at all. And that if we had just been able to raise our eyes up and see that there was something bigger than what was in the building, that it was God trying to do something to fit us together so that we could show the world something, it would be a very different place, wouldn't it? It wouldn't have mattered that we didn't get our way. It wouldn't have mattered that the vote didn't go our way. It wouldn't have mattered that the church decided to pivot and go in a new direction. None of that would have mattered because those things ultimately don't matter. But what does matter is that we're being fitted together to grow into a holy temple of the Lord. Set apart. Holy is what that means. So when he says that we're holy and we're set apart, that we look different. That we look strange to the world. I don't know about you, but I hate looking strange. I don't want to look strange. I don't want to walk outside and people go like, man, what were you thinking when you put that on? I don't want that. Some of you love that. Not me. I want to just kind of go through my day. And I don't want anybody to ask me any questions or point out anything that's different. But the scripture says that we're to be holy, set apart. And this is one of the ways that it's supposed to be. So when we talk about growing a church, what we mean by that is that God is doing the work of regeneration in people's lives and he begins to fit them together. And what happens on earth ought to be a mirror of what's happening in heaven. I want to go back to this idea of this homogeneous church growth principle. Probably 12 years ago, it came to our attention that in Nashville, Tennessee, things had changed. What do I mean by that? Well, many of you grew up here and you could attest to the fact that things had changed. Buildings. Not only buildings, but the world was coming to Nashville. Then Nashville got labeled the It City, whatever that means. I don't even know what that means. But people just want to come all the time. I had a family friend in from out of town, and he was talking about wanting to go downtown to see Broadway. And he said, have you been down there recently? And I said, not if I can help it. <laughs> and he said, why? And I was like, because it's a tourist trap. I mean, it's, it's down there. If, if you walk downtown and you see somebody with a cowboy hat on, they are definitely not from here. Do You know what I mean? They came in like, woo How come nobody's wearing hats here? You know, it's like, it's like getting off the plane, wondering what's going on, right? They're here, they're here for the bridal weekend or something. It had changed. But one of the biggest things that had changed is that we had really become a metropolitan city, and we began to understand that when we talked about the high school that's next door to our church. The high school that's next door to our church is the most diverse high school in the state of Tennessee. Okay? I want you to think about that for just a second. This is not Nashville from 1980. This is Nashville today, the most diverse population in the world, or I'm sorry, in the state, actually lives right behind us in the 37211 area code, right here. Now that can fool you if you go across the street in a three seven two two zero, right? It's different, but right here, sixty some plus languages spoken every day. That's different, isn't it? It looks different. That means for us to reach this world, and we want to say, like, okay, how are we going to do it? Should we just try to figure out what Judson, Jeff, and Judson Jill look like and go after those people? Mm, maybe not, because I don't know about you, but. When God talked about a mission field, didn't he say that every tribe, every tongue, every nation was going to be represented in heaven? Did you, did you read that like I read that? That was important, wasn't it? And so when we talk about the kingdom and we talk about us being fitted together, it just makes sense that there has to be some smoothing, some polishing, because it doesn't look the same. No, nothing is the same. It's not just that we couldn't agree on the same carpet. But culturally, we're all so different. Many of us are transplants back into Nashville. I'm a transplant back to Nashville. Maybe you are too. Maybe your transplant took place from a different country to Nashville. And what we want to say is, that's awesome. That's great. It provides opportunities for us to bump into each other. And you can kind of, oh, that hurt hurt a little bit. But we're going to get over it. We're going to be good. We're going to figure it out. Because God is growing the church. God is doing it. It's His work. Jesus said, I will build the church. What's the church look like today? Somebody asked me recently, How's the church doing after the pandemic? And I said, I have no idea. I don't know. Talk to me this fall sometime after everybody gets back from their five summer vacations that they're going to take to make up for last year when they didn't have summer vacation. Let's talk about it then. I don't know. I have no idea. But I can tell you that we're about 75% back of where we were in, in number before our pandemic started. That's good. I want to tell you again, God's interested in growing his church. God's asking us if we could look up and not look over people. Not to look past them. But to look them in the eye at the point of their need and say, You are valuable. You are worthwhile. You are loved and treasured and cherished by the King of Kings. How can we introduce you to Jesus? How can we have you fitted together with us in this thing we call Judson Baptist Church? Well, It starts with things like a Spanish-speaking ministry in our church, praise the Lord. It starts with things like working with Legacy Mission Village so that we can help people who are moving to our country to understand what it means to live here and how to, to walk through all that is the unusualness of America, the uniqueness of America but it also points them to Christ at the same time. And it says, we want you to be here with us. We share a citizenship, it's in the kingdom. We're part of the same family and now we're being fitted together. Can I ask you again to begin praying that God would do a work in and through our church to reach the people that he brings into this mission field. God placed us here on purpose, folks. He knew that one day we would be living in the most culturally diverse area of a city. I often ask the Lord, did you make a mistake in uh, asking me to pastor the most culturally diverse area in the city? Lord, couldn't there have been someone better Couldn't there have been someone, Lord, I feel out of my element. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know which way to go. And I'm always reminded that he says, I'm building my church. He's doing it. We're just here to be faithful, set apart, and open for God to build his church the way that he wants to. Would you join us in praying for that? I want us to pray for that right now father as we look at these three pictures today we're reminded that you're doing your kingdom's work and we're asking you lord to build your church right here at judson baptist church and around the world lord you have changed the landscape of a city and made it wonderful and Father, we would express our need to you today that our need has always been the same. We might could grow a church by a marketing ploy or, or a slick ad or something like that, but Father, that's not growing your church the way that you've outlined it in Scripture, where we're fitted together, where the presence of the Lord is. Oh, God, our Father, would you help us to rely on you? to reach this community. Raise our eyes up, Lord. Let us see it with your mission and your vision for loving and cherishing and caring for people whom you sent your son to die for. Oh God, we ask you to make us strong in these days. We ask you to let us be a light. Father, we ask you that when we bump into one another and and we feel like we need to be polished a little bit more so that we can fit and grow together, that that would happen here, Father. God, would you do it? Lord, we promise that we'll lean on the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. And we'll build on that. Not on our ideas, Lord, but yours. Not on a culture, but on yours. We ask you, God, to help us with that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.